And if you take a Bible, Dawn's going to come and read Psalm 131 to us. Psalm 131, a song of ascent of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. For I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is God's word. My name is Jason Roach, one of the ministers here. It's uh, great to add my welcome to Matt's. Good to see you all here this morning. And we're continuing in a, in a series called What Are Humans? Uh, and looking at how the Bible addresses some of the big questions we face about what it means to be human. And we're thinking today about the question, how do we cope? In other words, we're thinking about stress, anxiety, worry, I guess different names for a whole number of different things that are are similar and overlapping. And I guess if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus or not yet a believer in Jesus, then this is something that you can relate to. It's an issue that we all face. It's the air we breathe for much of us in our London life. I remember Matt Fuller, one of the the, the senior minister here, uh, saying how he'd gone onto the tube one day. And uh, he'd seen three posters as he'd gone onto the tube. The first poster said uh, it was for beauty cream, so be more beautiful. And the second one was for an investment bank, so it would be more wealthy. And the third one was for a university, so be more knowledgeable. And as he reflected on this, he, he thought to himself, look, the underlying message here is that I'm ugly, I'm poor, and I'm stupid. <laughs> Can I say, my, I think none of those things apply. Um, but it's no wonder we're stressed, is it, if that's the kind of thing we face uh, at the beginning of a, of a day. And we're going to look at Psalm 131 to see how it helps us. And I'm indebted to uh, uh, the Resources for Changing Lives series. They have one on stress. This isn't the stress one. They do have one on stress. But there are a number of these uh, tiny little booklets uh, over by the bookstall, very small but uh, power-packed biblical resources on practical issues. This one's on anger. Can I commend them to you, and particularly the one uh, on stress? Uh, that uh, David Powlison writes. Let's turn uh, to this psalm. And Psalm 131 seems to be a reflection on the hard truths that the nation of Israel are facing. They've reflected them, on them a bit in Psalm 130, the one that comes just before this. They were a nation, God's people, who expected much of themselves, and yet they found themselves as exiles in a foreign land, and although now free facing a future far more humble than they anticipated. And Psalm 131, in in the spirit of David, the psalmist, a faithful man of God, reflects on how to cope. And he paints an incredible picture of a stress-free life. Have a look at verse 2 of Psalm 131. But I have stilled and quietened my soul... Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And if you're familiar with this uh, uh, concept of weaning, you'll know that a child, before uh, they are weaned, if uh, they're hungry and they're anywhere near their uh, mother's chest, they will scream and shout and holler until they have uh, the milk that they crave. But once they are weaned, once they're no longer reliant on their mother's milk, then they can be in exactly the same situation and be completely... 
And the psalmist is saying that he's learned the secret of being completely calm on the inside. Now, don't you long for that? The pressures to achieve don't consume you. Failure and despair don't daunt you. Anxiety isn't spinning you out of free fall. Your regrets don't corrode your inner experience. In other words, you're not stumbling through a minefield of longings and despairs, waiting for the next one that will knock you off course. Are you quiet on the inside? And what we're going to look at here is not simply a self-help tool. It's not just that you work through a series of steps and when you do that, you're okay at the end. This is a a lifelong struggle that we, we enter into in cooperation with the Lord. It's something that he oversees. This psalm, like, like all of the psalms, is a prayer offered up to God. And yet the psalmist speaks in, in verse 2 about the work that he's done. He looks to God and yet recognizes that there's work to be done. My brother-in-law recently tore his uh, retina and had to be taken uh, for emergency surgery at uh, Moorfields Eye Hospital. And uh, if you know anything about uh, eye surgery and that sort of thing, what often happens is you have a sort of stand, and uh, your job is to to rest your your head on the stand as the surgeon does his work of operating on your eye. Uh, So I guess, guess, you know, who, who helped my brother? He had a job to do. He had to put his head on the stand and whatever happened, look straight ahead at the surgeon. And yet it was the surgeon who did his work. And it's exactly like that when we look at the details in this psalm. If you want a summary of the message, the message is simply this. Fix your eyes on the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. Fix your eyes on the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. And yet as we do that, remember that it is he, God himself, who does the work of change. And so as we seek to do that, let's bow our heads and pray to him now. Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the chance to turn to your word, to hear you speak to us this morning. And we pray that you would help us to see uh, our struggles and understand them more clearly. And to see our Saviour, to see you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, three things to say as we start by way of introduction. The first is this. Um, I'm not saying that this is all there is to know about this issue. Number one, we're just looking at one psalm. That's the first thing to say. The second is uh, the type of stress relief that this psalm is advocating is not detachment from the world. It's not retreat. It's not the kind of um, relaxation that a quiet glass of wine or a box of chocolates will get you. That's the second thing to say. And the third thing, some will say that this this is simply too simplistic. Can I say, I may well not do justice to it, but let's not be too quick to call the Bible's teaching simplistic. I take it God made the human heart, and he knows more than the most intelligent psychiatrist about how to quell it. One reason uh, the great preacher Spurgeon said that this psalm is so short is that it takes a lifetime to apply. Well, let's uh, look at a blueprint first before we uh, go into the detail of my two points. The the two problems that this psalm uh, raises are pride and presumption. Pride and presumption. Pride looking down on other people on the one hand 
and presumption, grasping at impossibilities on the other. So if you want to keep two images on your mind, I, I, in your mind, I guess they would be a Gulliver from Gulliver's Travels, a giant among little people, looking down on people, and on the other hand, Alice in Alice in Wonderland, who at least for, for part of the book is uh, grasping for things that are, are too big, that are above her, a little person among giants. And where does the battle rage practically? Verse 1 tells us, my heart is not proud. The Bible, of course, in the Bible, of course, the heart isn't simply the pump that pumps blood around our bodies. It's not simply the sentimental attitude of, you know, love hearts, those sweets that you get with the sort of kiss me quick and hug me sort of messages in them. It's not that. In the Bible, the heart is the head office of humanity. So the heart, Jason Roach's heart, is Jason Roach's own personal number 10 Downing Street. It's the control center of his being. It's the control center of your being. And that's why the, the Bible takes the heart so seriously. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And there's one solution that this psalm is going to present to us, and it comes out in verse 3. It's the verse that was in uh, the slide at the beginning of the meeting. O Israel, hope in the Lord, and do it forever. Hope in the Lord, brackets, do it forever. In other words, fix your eyes on the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's not beating yourself up. It's not resolving to try harder. It's fixing your eyes on the promises of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And the rest of the sermon is simply really um, some practical examples of how this works out, the nitty-gritty of this uh, and how it works out. So let's uh, take the first bit, looking down on others. That, that there's a, an outline uh, in your service sheets that might be helpful if you've got that in front of you. Looking down on others. Verse 1. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. In other words... Uh, not look, looking down on others, feeling superior to them. And I guess pride in our culture uh, often comes in the form of looking at our achievements, whether they be academic or, or career or relational sorts of achievements. And uh, I guess that comes out practically in boasting. Now, we're all far too clever to do that overtly, uh, but subtly... Uh, achievements um, and names and places can be dropped very easily into conversations for no other reason than to say, look at me. A mum apologises to another mum for her daughter's terrible handwriting on the card that she's given you. And as an ex-doctor, I look at the writing and think, that's me on a good day. <laughs> In a time when business is drying up, a contractor moans about how busy he is letting everyone know that he's the one that's got the business. And we speak about the achievements of uh, our children or nieces or nephews or, or godchildren in, in our speech or in our prayer letters. And um, as we speak about the grade four piano and the graduation from university and the achievements at the drama society, it could all be done in a way that basically says, look at how good they are. Now, let's be clear. Working hard is a, is a good thing. 
Proverbs 13 says the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. In other words, if you're lazy, you tend not to achieve very much, and if you work hard, well, you get somewhere. The Bible says that working hard is a good thing. But, but ultimately, our achievements are the Lord's work. So the Apostle Paul rebukes the, crowd, the, the proud Corinthian church by saying, what do you have that you did not receive in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? I remember being um, at university, um, and the dean of uh, my medical school at the time got a number of us into a room and sat us in a circle. He did this every so often to get to know uh, the people uh, in our year. And he'd ask us what we did in our spare time for you know, fun, for our hobbies. And it was the most intimidating thing I'd ever uh, been in in my life. You know, these are the sorts of people for whom, you know, grade eight piano was just, that was just a given. You know, so what did you do to enjoy yourself? And as it went around the room, you know, you had mountain climbing and fencing and Ironman competitions. And it came round to me. And all I could think of was, you know, um, uh, I quite like writing. And the dean, the dean of the, the, the medical school looked at me, looked at me in the eye, and he said, so what you're saying to me is in your spare time, you like to stare at a computer screen. And uh, I guess I felt absolutely tiny. And as it had gone out around that room, my temptation was to try and rank myself, compare myself to these other people in the room. But if I had been thinking rightly, other people's achievements, my achievements should not be, have been a cause for either shame or pride, but a cause of thankfulness for the gifts that God has given to each person. You see, there's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. The opportunities, the skills, the, the health that we have, they're all God-given. Now, how is it that I can keep remembering this? What can I do to be quiet on the inside? Psalm 131 says, hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. And when we look back to Psalm 130, where that line is repeated in verse 7, do you see it? O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. We see the same words, but expanded with reasons, if you like, for why we should do that. So look at Psalm 130, verse 7. It says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. It says hope in him because he is the one who redeems you. We were bankrupt spiritually. So bankrupt because we turned our backs on God that it made the credit crunch look like a monopoly game. Until God wrote the check to get us out of debt. And the cost, of course, was the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. And when we put our trust in him, that check is deposited into our account so that now if you, if you go to the spiritual cash machine, we're not just out of debt, we are seriously in credit. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I remember going to the ATM, the cash machine once, putting my card in, putting the PIN number in, and realizing that I had £2,000 more money in my account than should have been in there. Uh, it's a great feeling, I can tell you. And uh, uh, could I take credit for that money being there? Could I feel proud about that money that was deposited in my account? No, I couldn't. The right thing to do was to be thankful for the person who put it in there. But of course, the next day, the bank realized their mistake and took the money <laughs> away. 
But here is the spiritual balance. Here is a spiritual balance that we didn't deserve that will never be taken away from us. And the key thing here is that we know who it's from. It is all from him. Do you see it there in verse 7 of Psalm 130? With him is full redemption. With the Lord is unfailing love. You see, the only reason that anything we do makes God smile is because of the work he has done in us. The only reason anything that we do makes God smile is because of the work that he has done in us, the spiritual capital that he has already deposited in our account. And we'll help each other to do that, to remember that, as we um, acknowledge God's hands in things day by day in our conversations. So I spoke to someone just recently who'd just been uh, given a new job, and uh, he said to me, look, um, the reason that I'm suited to this role, uh, the reason that it fits me like a glove, is all the work of God. And I know that's a simple thing, but that's a wonderful way to speak. It's a wonderful way to speak. He was a very clever man. He'd worked hard. There was no doubt about it. He deserved that job. And yet in his mind, he put his hope in the Lord. And in his speech to people, he directed his thoughts to him. So that he wasn't looking down on anyone. He knew that everything he had came from him. In our prayer letters, as we speak of the success of our children, well, then it's not just uh, he's very clever. It's we give thanks to God for what he's done. And that keeps us and them humble. Well, look, in these ways, let's keep modeling hope in the Lord in our everyday life. That's the first thing, looking down on others. And the solution, hope in the Lord, to remember that with him, through him, because of God, there is full redemption. Not because of anything that we've done but because of the gifts that he gives us. Secondly, grasping at impossibilities. Have a look at verse 1 of Psalm 131 again. We'll read it from the beginning. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. And then the bit we're looking at now, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. In other words, the psalmist here is grasping at impossibilities. And we do that in all kinds of ways. Sometimes we grasp at perfect health. And so there's the obsessive calorie counting. There's the frustration with doctors when they can't answer our questions with absolute precision. There's the, the, the fear, there's a fear that comes from the tiniest little pain that you convince yourself might signal the end. And maybe that's just me. <laughs> Grasping uh, for popularity. And so you, uh, you flirt or you lie or you change your personality to suit the company that you're with. Or when you fear you're not going to be able to keep up with those around you, you simply just hide away. There's grasping for success where you're chasing promotion and recognition until it wears you down into the ground. And then perhaps closer to home, there's grasping at someone else's life. You know, the desire to, 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 um, to be like others, I find, is a very, a very strange thing. Um, I don't desire to be like many, many people who are very great in this world. I don't desire to be like David Beckham or Robbie Williams. I do, you know, it's strange, I know. Why would I? <laughs> but, uh, 
you desire to be like people who are doing things very similar to you. That's what I find. So I desire to be like other preachers. <laughs> I look at other people on the staff who are doing things similar to me, and they're the people that I'm envious of. And it's not much that you want from them. I mean, you know, just a little better health or a little more money or a more meaningful job or a different kind of relationship or slightly nicer clothes or a more restful holiday or more recognition in your work, and then you'd be satisfied. What is it for you? Where is it that you say, if only? Unhelpfully grasping, pining, personally, professionally, socially. In our better moments, we know, don't we, that that grasping is fruitless. We know the truth of the end of uh, verse 1, that those things are too wonderful for us, that they are beyond our reach. We know that. We know that our friendships will always disappoint us in some way, that our, our, our jobs can't always excite and encourage us in, in the way that we would like. We know that we can't always stay well, that we can't make people like us. Even if we were the best at our job, it would only be an amount of time before someone better came along or else we'd just get increasingly old and wrinkled and eventually die. We know, don't we, that these things are too wonderful for us. And so what's the solution? Where do we go to be quiet on the inside? Verse 3 again. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. We go back to Psalm 130 and that little expansion of this, this verse in 7 and 8. And if before we focused on redemption, I want us to focus now on that word Israel. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Verse 8, he will redeem Israel from all their sins. You see, the word Israel means to be the people of God. It means to be personally known by the God of the universe. In the Old Testament, of course, that was the nation of Israel, the Jews. But the New Testament tells us that if we have put our trust in Jesus, that that term Israel comes to be uh, us. Galatians uh, 6, verse 16, for example. Do you realize, do you remember that you have been welcomed as a child of the living God, if you're putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are of royal stock, that you have been elevated to greatness, why would you want to grasp for anything else? You see, to be one of God's people is to be part of a, a plan that was started before the beginning of the world and will go on far into eternity. Being a redeemed child of God is far better than anything we could gain in this life. And yet day after day, many of us uh, get up stressed and worried and grasping for things that are beyond our reach. We've forgotten the, the, the words of C.S. Lewis, which with any luck will appear on the screen behind me. We fool about with ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. If we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are children of God, the new spiritual Israel. 
And that is far better than anything we could ever gain in this life. And so what are we to do as we find ourselves grasping for things that are beyond our reach? Remember what we have. Remember the gift that has been laid at our feet. We are Israel, God's chosen people. As we finish, let me uh, tell you about a, a woman called Joan. Joan spent her life grasping for the perfect family and home and friendships. And life for Joan was, frankly, deeply frustrating. Her house was never quite right. Her kids never seemed to meet up to her expectations. Her husband was never quite able to, to please her. Her friends were never quite loyal enough. Her finances never quite seemed secure enough. She never even met up to her own expectations. And her grasping wore her down. Until the rug was pulled from underneath her life when her husband uh, left her with the kids and the money and the house. She had nothing. And sometime later, when uh, Joan was much poorer, poorer, with much less time with her children and family, she could genuinely say that she was uh, at peace. God hadn't taken away the, the, the suffering, the situation that she'd found herself in. Her circumstance was the same. But she'd found a way to be patient in them. And it was simply this. Her hope no longer came from her family or her friends or her finances primarily. She no longer looked down on others who didn't have what she had. She no longer grasped at things that were beyond her reach. Her hope firmly lay in the redemption won by Jesus Christ and guaranteed by the empty tomb. Knowing she was a redeemed child of God, that her spiritual bank account was in credit, had changed everything. I hope you never have to go through something like Joan went through. But wouldn't it be great if we could face life prepared? Not taken out of our circumstances, but understanding how to be patient in them. How do we deal with stress? The two problems, pride and presumption. Being like a spiritual gulliver on the one hand, a giant amongst little people. And on the other hand, being like a spiritual Alice, a small person amongst giants. And the solution, the solution to hope in the Lord, to fix our eyes on the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and to allow the surgeon to do his work of change in our hearts. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us again the wonder of your words and the wonder of the Son of whom your word points us to. We thank you for reminding us that with you, with you, there is full redemption. And that with you, we are a chosen people of God. 
And we pray that whether this word has found us well or in discomfort, whether it's find us satisfied or striving for things, that you will have helped us to fix our eyes on your promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that we would remember that through that our hearts can be stilled. Would you do that work, we pray, in our hearts, both now and forever. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.